Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning says so many things contrary to how the world thinks. Because here we have the creation of Adam. As God forms man from the dust of the earth, God intimately shapes the dust into the form of man. And out of his perfect, divine, and infinite imagination, Adam is made. And in the formation of Adam, Adam is distinct from every other creature. Everything else that was made was simply spoken into existence. Everything from the sun and the moon to the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, every beast that prowls upon the earth, God simply spoke, and then it became. But when it comes time for God to make man... His word is spoken, but then he also shapes the man in his own image and breathes into him the breath of life. And this is a marvelous thing for us to consider today. As we think about how the world views the foundation of humanity, we are not indeed creatures lovingly formed by a creator. According to the world, we're cosmic accidents. As the world teaches us that something came from nothing, from chance, the cosmic big bang, it sort of happened, nobody can say why, and matter, space, time, everything simply just came into existence. And out of chaos of particles and matter and light and gravity over billions of years, the planets, the stars, and all the heavenly bodies kind of just came together, and somehow life just happened to come out of nowhere from that. You get order from chaos, you get life from no life, you get reproduction out of no reproduction. Beginning with that single-celled organism, living things evolve over billions of years to eventually become man. And now man is just a stop along the way of the evolutionary process, just really, really advanced apes. And who knows what will be the next step. These are two opposing worldviews. The first shows how God takes great consideration and care for Adam, forms him, breathes life into him, places him in the garden, and gives him a world to live in. All of the creation was made with the purpose for being a place for human beings to inhabit so that they might live in fellowship with their eternal God. We are called to worship him and live with thanksgiving and praise towards the one who has formed us But the second worldview sees human beings as nothing other than a product of chance. Somehow, coming out of all the disorder, we simply are here. We are not made for anything. Our existence has no overarching purpose. We simply exist. And since there's no higher purpose to our existence, we are the highest level of progress. So we might as well just worship ourselves. We are simply animals with high IQs. See, we see the consequences of that view of the world's understanding of humanity. As they are purely destructive, as we look at the scriptures, they tell us about our formation and existence. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. Did you hear that? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
But when you take that truth away, making every human being into, once again, a cosmic accident, you rob humanity of all of its value. So every human being is valued in other ways. Value is assigned to people and how they can be used to meet the desires of others. If they impede that use, they're no longer valuable. And so the child, who's the product of an unplanned pregnancy, or the handicapped person, or the person who espouses an unpopular opinion, or that political opponent of mine, the one who is different than me, the one who interrupts my pursuit of power and pleasure, that life is less valuable to me. Those lives can be torn down. Those lives can be ended for the sake of my own convenience, comfort, and pleasure. The baby can be murdered in the mother's womb. The handicapped person can be sent away and denied human dignity. The political component can be treated with contempt and hatred and faced with imprisonment and death for interrupting the will of the powerful. Because all that matters is my own will, because God has nothing to do with anything. This is the message that the world teaches. This is what's taught in schools, depicted in media, and spread throughout the world. And they say, you're all that matters. It's all about you, your desire, your identity, your comfort. Anyone who gets in the way of that is a problem that has to be despised and disposed of. That is not how God created Adam. Adam and everyone who has come after him is a creature made by the Creator. It says in our reading that as Adam was formed from the dust of the earth, that the Lord breathed life into him, and he became a living soul. In Genesis 1, we're told that Adam was made in the image of God. Scriptures say, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And so we see that Adam is a man who is endowed by his creator with life. And in that life, God has blessed him with a calling. He was made in the image of God. He was made in holiness. And in this holiness, he was made to live as God's image upon the earth by doing the will that God has called him to do. We call this vocation. And Adam's particular vocation was to exercise dominion, to work the garden, to enjoy, to protect, and to live in the perfect creation God had made for him to dwell in. And this still is man's calling. We are to live lives of worship before God. We are to honor him, to live under his care, to exercise our vocations as his representatives, to love each other, and to give thanks to him. But of course... As we have that calling, this is not how things go. Because as mankind has fallen and gone its own way, people are driven more and more into the worship of themselves. And that is because Adam fell. And in Adam, we have fallen too. See, God placed Adam in paradise. He was to dwell in Eden. In this paradise, he was to delight in the work of the garden. He was to freely eat of the fruit of the garden, yet God set boundaries for Adam. 
He was free to eat of every tree except the tree in the midst of the garden, for the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. And we all know what happened after that. Adam and Eve were deceived. They ate, and they did die. We know how it happened. On the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their bodies did not immediately fall over, decompose, and go back to being dust of the earth. They lived many, many years after that. But they did die spiritually. As their sin brought death upon them, it cast fear and enmity into their hearts towards God. Because God, for them, at that moment, as sin entered their lives, was no longer the perfect, loving creator that he was, but he was a just avenger. He was the one who was going to have to punish Adam and Eve as they now stood in their fallen shame. And so what did they do? They scrambled. They did what they could to cover it up. They sew the fig leaves together. They hide from the face of God, but none of it solves the problem. They had lost the holy image of God that they were created to be. They had become sinners. And certainly this is true of us. Adam and Eve are our parents, like father, like son. We've inherited their sin. We've inherited their fallen nature. Their fallen nature is our fallen nature. And though we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator who loves us, we often choose not to acknowledge him now. That is the great symptom of spiritual death. It says in Romans 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see that? Mankind has disowned his true father. We choose to worship just about anything other than the living God who created us. We devise every sort of idol to cling to so that we can, in the end, worship and please ourselves. And we may not go to the pagan temples and bow down before all the statues of the false gods, but we do worship images. They're just about everywhere. We turn on the TV, we open the app on our phone, we look at the nearest screen, and as we do that, we have to ask ourselves, is this what God created me to fix my eyes upon, to fill my heart with, to spend my time gazing at? We know the answer. Because of this, the wages of sin weigh heavily upon us. As God's righteous judgment stands as a witness against us, we daily forsake fellowship with God every time we sin. Every sin is an offense that drives us further and further from our Creator, and as we are driven from Him, we are driven deeper and deeper into hell. That's a scary reality. But as man forsakes God, God has never forsaken us. And as we have lost his perfect image, God continually works to restore it in us. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but so also in Christ shall all be made alive again. Now our epistle lesson today from Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're given a new picture. In Adam, we all fall. In Adam's fall, we fall into sin. When Adam lost the image of God, we all lost the image of God. So what does God do? 
Does he utterly destroy us as we deserve? Does he consign us to hell that we have chosen? No. He sends his son into the world to bear the image of God for man again. He sends Jesus to be the second Adam as God becomes man to save sinners. He comes to be the man who doesn't sin. That man, the man that Adam failed to be, is the one Jesus comes to be for you. He comes to suffer what Adam and all who are born after him are supposed to suffer. Philippians 2 puts it this way. He says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to taken by force, but he empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we have God in his glory, his highness, his greatness coming down to become low as a servant. First Peter says he bore him, him he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. You see God does not despise or reject his creation because they have fallen. Remember you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that same care that God took to shape Adam from the dust of the earth is the care that God has taken in forming every single one of you. And he has also placed us into his creation and provided for us from this creation. And seeing our sin and the destruction that it would bring upon us, he comes down from heaven to bear that destruction. Jesus is born into this world. He takes on human flesh. He lives perfectly before his Father, all so that he can die for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, it's all about the forgiveness of sins. It's all about God taking away the stuff that drives us further and further away from him. As the wages of sin is death, we see that Christ has died and risen from the dead. Jesus suffers for the sins of the world, and in doing so, he takes away our death too. People who believe in Jesus are set free from sin and death. People who believe in Jesus rise again from the dead. We're given a seal and assurance of that freedom as children of God. This morning, we had a wonderful event take place. We had these two young ladies baptized into Christ. As Sophia and Serenity were washed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were given everything that Jesus had done for them. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. First Peter says, baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Titus, the Bible says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All those verses mean one thing. When a person is baptized, it's not a work that we are doing. It's not a work done by human hands. It's God's holy work. God is working out his promises for us. He says that when a person is baptized, they are being saved. And in Titus, it said he is being regenerated. That means they're being remade. And so just as Adam was formed from the dust of the earth, we are now being reformed and remade in the washing with the water and the spirit. 
And Jesus calls that a new birth. And John chapter 3, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. So when the Christian is baptized, we are born again into the promises of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully being made into something new. As we're no longer going to bear the image of our father, Adam, we're going to bear the image of our brother, Jesus. St. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So then, we are no longer bound by the sins of Adam. We've been set free from the sins of Adam. We are no longer to bear Adam's fallen, broken image. We once again have the image of God. It's being restored in you as we are filled with the breath of God in his Holy Spirit. We are reformed and remade through the death of our Savior. We now bear his image. We are clothed and covered in Jesus. <clears throat> and the life that we now live, we live to God. We live in the mercy of Christ. That's what it says at the beginning of Romans 6. It says this, How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not all, uh, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And you know what that means? You're not a cosmic accident. And you are not an eternal enemy of God. But you, child of God, are those who have been remade in the image of God's eternal and holy Son. And because of this, we are set free from the sins of our old Adam. That old Adam, put to death, is drowned in baptism. But you, you are free. You are free to pursue righteousness. You are free to live as the creations that God created you to be. And when we fail in this, we are free to come to God with the assurance that he forgives us for Jesus' sake. We no longer live under the condemnation of our sin. The Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so the baptized Christian is no longer bound to his sin. The baptized Christian is no longer lost as a fallen and spiritually dead person. The baptized Christian is no longer a slave to his physical bodily passions, lust, and sins. No, we are bound to Christ. We are freed from all of the stuff that the world would use to drive us away from God. We have been made into something new and something greater. We are made to be like a Jesus. Every day, we will fall short of the image of Christ. Every day, though, we are free to repent, to receive from forgiveness from God, and to turn away from those sins that would drive us from him. Every day, by sorrow over sin and sincere repentance, the old Adam in us drowns and dies with all sins and evil desires, and that new man, that new creation that you are, daily emerges and arises to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. You are free to live a life of repentance and faith in the gospel of Christ. You have been set free from your sins. You have been freed to flee from them, to stop doing them, to despise them for what they are, and you are now free to worship your God. There is nothing that divides you from him any longer. 
when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And so we know that we are not products of cosmic chance. We're not simple accidents of nature. We're not products of biological evolution. Our lives are not meaningless pursuits of power and pleasure. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully remade. We are loved by our God and our Father. We are those who are continually reshaped into the image of his eternal Son. God loves us so that he would create us and recreate us each and every day to live before him forever. And so, my dear friends, live as the free children of God. Live as if there is a God who loves you. Live a life that pursues holiness and freedom in the gospel of Christ. Live a life of repentance and faith in the one who makes all things new, including you. Live as baptized Christians. Live in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you make and remake us in the holy image of your Son. Cause us to live by faith in the righteousness of Christ and the forgiveness of sins that are found in his holy gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.